The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. The Homance Chronicles. The female equivalent of a bromance. So many poor choices. But so many good takes. But so many poor choices. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this is the Homance Chronicles. Forever tired. This is Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Nicole. I actually, I have a foot massager going right now. So if you hear any weird, like behind me noise of just. It's not the vibrator. Okay. Got it. Which no, it's not on high enough speed for a vibrator. (laughs) Would I be offended or honored? I think I'd be honored unless you, well, yeah honored i'm going with that (laughs) my feet are freezing and i have this under the desk foot massager that's also heated now you could only turn on the heat if that's what you so chose to do however who would ever want that without the massage component like why would you do that (laughs) unless my feet are very sore from rigorous massaging earlier in the day please give me all So Which, I, I just think... assume that you can't hear it because it's muffled by my actual feet. <laughs> <laughs> and that amazing microphone you have in front of you. Right. <laughs> That's awesome. But yeah. This so is where we we're at. This is um, what this is what you do when you're 40. You're like, you know what? I barely pulled myself together to be on this call with you. And in order to sustain this call. I have to have a foot <laughs> massager with heat on. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Adding to my already need for a blanket and or heat um, thing in general. Just a space heater in general. Craziness. Yeah, I agree. It's remarkable the amount of um, getting ready I don't do anymore post-COVID. <laughs> like never in a million years would anybody I worked with be able to see me like this yet today and every other day this is how i operate anymore just this which Mm -hmm. is not appealing in any way shape or form just really goes to show that my work is really outshining me as a person (laughs) yeah i mean used to actually put like you know full face of makeup on every Every day day. to go to work and the only thing that i run out of is my like stick concealer yeah (laughs) I haven't run out of that since fucking beginning of last year. <laughs> I got to re-up before it runs out so it doesn't make my face all cucka because it's got cucka in it. <laughs> <laughs> Which reminds yeah, me, I look I at some of my, my makeup and I'm just like, oh my God, how old is this? Yeah. I'm at that stage too where I'm like, if I haven't touched you in a year, you're just going to go in the trash. My makeup drawer is going to get really thin really quickly. <laughs> kind of sad, but here we are doing it. Yeah. So, you know, I've got a couple of zits covered with my concealer stick mm-hmm. and uh that's more than me. You know, this very luxurious hoodie. <laughs> Trust me. My work people have seen it all. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, let's let's get into it. Are you ready? You ready for this lady? I'm ready. Who's your hoe of history? Well, You sent her over yesterday, day before, day before last week, maybe. I don't remember. All the days are merging together. Yeah. Probably Monday, number six or seven in the week of Mondays that we have all day. Right. Well, and it was funny because on the graphic for the last episode on Betty White, you put episode 626. Oh, that's cute. (laughs) It's it was 600 or it was 262. And, um, (laughs) So, I, yeah, I don't expect you to know what day you received that message from no. me. <laughs> <laughs> We're just here. <laughs> We're trying. Uh, 
like how you're the only person that called me out on that. You didn't even care enough to call me out when it was posted. <laughs> and I didn't notice until you just said something. <laughs> they get it. Our people get it. I don't think anybody's that worried about it. No, if they even look at it, honestly. All right. But yeah, so today, our hoe is Alma the Brettville Spreckles, a.k.a. Big Alma, a.k.a. the great-grandmother of San Francisco. Wee, wee, wee. Wee, wee. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm trying to downsize you here so that we can still hang out. I can still look at you while I chat at you. Okay. So um, she was born in San Francisco, but like when San Francisco still had farms, so she was born on a farm in San Francisco. Um, she was born March 24, 1881. Um, she was born Alma Charlotte Corday Le Normand de Bretville in the Sunset District. Um, she was fifth of six children to Vigo and Matilda de Bretville. They were two Danish immigrants who came over. Um the dad came from wealth, it turns out. His grandfather came from Danish nobility. <clears throat> and so he, through the French Revolution, and he absolutely loved to tell people and everybody else that they had royal heritage. Like, they were royalty, they had wealth because they were born into it, yada, yada, yada. <clears throat> and um, per the pattern we know, he used that as an excuse to avoid doing actual work. So... He would tout that he came from wealth, but they were quickly running out of cash. And he would also judge those who came to San Francisco and came into their own wealth due to the gold rush. He would say they didn't deserve it. Like, what? A, what? So you come from royalty. Um, you don't know how to work a day in your life. And then you're going to dog people who know what they're doing to make themselves money. All right. Cool, cool, cool. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> He thought that just like nepotism is the way of life. That's the only way. Yes, essentially. <laughs> um, so while he continued to like put his nose up at the people who put their shit to work, were on the grind. Um, his wife <laughs> realized they were gonna get fucked over pretty quickly, so she took up the reins and decided to move the family to downtown. Um, to a flat and opened up a Danish bakery, laundry service, and a massage parlor. So it was, I, from as I read it, it was one business, but then it quickly turned into three separate businesses that they worked on. And um, it was their primary source of income. So it could have been an all-in-one business, but it also could have been three separate organ three separate businesses that they ran at once. And by 14, though, Alma's dad instructed her to quit going to school so she could start working for the family full time so that they could make money because his veggie sales weren't really up. Veggie uh, sales. I thought that they were you said massage parlor. Yeah, and... no, he he had was like he had a number of jobs as a vegetable salesman, et cetera, et cetera, at one point. But all of them didn't pan out as according to our pattern, you know, failed businesses. Mm. okay so yes she did quit public school however she was very interested in the arts and some sciences i guess so she ended up taking up night classes at the mark hopkins institute of art to study painting mostly uh so while she was there she was in her like late teens and she basically started to come into her beauty so people started to take note of her beauty and asked for her to be a model, a sitting model for the artists. Well, eventually they, she realized, hey, I could make a lot of cash from doing this. And so she would start to accept offers from the local artists to pose nude. And many of her nudes, paintings that were tastefully painted, giving these air marks because i don't know for sure but they ended up finding their ways around to all the infamous cocktail bars that were that were on the cocktail route that was a place back then okay. so she was she was in the bars as a you know unnamed lady of sorts uh while she was doing this she ended up attracting a minor named charlie anderson and 
let's see he was roughly 40 something and she was in her early teen or late teens um they only spent about five weeks with each other and he did make a fortune gold mining in alaska so here's what i'm I'm gonna read snippets from the sfgate.com article that i found because it is going to show us exactly how (laughs) how alma kind of like did this guy in it was pretty it's pretty great so in february of 1902 they're at court in san francisco (laughs) she was suing him i should start off with he was a multi he was a millionaire they were dating for about five weeks they he broke it off and she was like oh no no suing you for false promises and deflowerization oh if you will oh (laughs) (laughs) for personal deflowerization uh so of course so he's in his 30s 40s 40s and she was in her late teens and what a creep he deserved it yeah absolutely so she essentially was like i'm suing you so the newspaper caught wind and everyone was like oh this is great the tea so of course it became like big news when they were going to the court case there's a lot of onlookers um like super curious as to what was going to go on so she was oh i'm sorry she was 20 years old at the time she was still an art student and essentially she was like waiting to drop the hammer on this guy and okay. they had a- well if she's 20 i don't i can't no mm. but but still like 40 something and a 20 something it's still gross yeah. so yeah. gross as me out. i mean he ha- there there's some coercion i but i would believe in the deflowering yeah um if 100%. she was still a virgin I, there and, could be, yeah we don't know for only, sure but if they only dated for five weeks yeah she was a virgin like I don't know. I mean, she, he, he might he might have very well made some promises. Oh, well, listen. So after a whirlwind romance that didn't end in matrimony, DeBretville was accusing Anderson of breaching his promise to marry her. She was a woman scorned and sought $50,000 in restitution fees for having her good name besmirched. <laughs> okay. She says, he told me he wished me to become his wife and I promised to become his wife. However, throughout the course of their romance, Anderson gifted her with lavish garments, furs, and spent cash on her many occasions over. She was treated to stiff cocktails and decadent luncheons at the Cliff House, among other prominent restaurants of the time. Um, The DeBretville family also benefited from the courtship as they enjoyed the $60 opera box Anderson secured for them. However, Anderson grew resentful of the young woman's desire for material goods. He told the court, and so he decided to cut the entire family off cold turkey. He never imagined it would land him in court months later. He says, I spent about five weeks with her and it cost me $1,500 bitterly. Um, so begins the story of Alma. She became one of the most f- prominent philanthropists in San Francisco. And this was wait, kind of well, like- did she win though? Oh yeah. It's yeah. So, this was the pinnacle turning point for big alma (laughs) so she actually won (laughs) yep so uh she won the case against anderson and was awarded a sum of 25.50 about 43k in damages it was then known as the heartbalm suit and it wasn't uncommon in the 1900s when women could successfully win lawsuits if they could prove they were swindled out of the engagement um the implication of failed engagement was sometimes that the woman was no longer a virgin if a couple had premarital sex without eventually walking down the aisle a woman's social standing could forever be ruined conversely the man could carry on scot-free uh so back in the courtroom she told jurors that anderson grumbled about how much he'd spend on her but also once threatened to end his life if she ever left his side he had oh for heaven's sake oh yeah he had a different recollection. It was an assertion that she pursued him even when it came to their first kiss. He told jurors that while they were on a drive, she leaned into Seely kiss, which he said caught him by surprise. The second time she kissed him, Anderson contended he couldn't avoid her advances because she was six feet tall. 
a towering or towering figure compared to him. He, she was so tall, he says, she just stooped down and kissed me and then straightened up again. Despite gifts and kisses, Anderson staunchly denied that he ever intended to marry her, even after he brought, bought her a pricey $375 Marquise ring. He alleged that he had a problem saying no and only agreed to buy it after she gave him no peace until he did. So, of course, he's sitting here framing her as the naggy female who wants, wants, wants. But reality, she was chased down by him. So when he gave it to her, she put a put it on her finger and holding it up to the light in a transport of joy said, ain't it, a, ain't it grand? It ought to be. It costs enough, he said. Years later, she looked back on the trial, rather pleased on it, or that it was the time I sued for personal defloweration by, and by God, I won. So maybe she was a virgin. Probably was. I don't know. But yeah, so... um. It's <laughs> she essentially was like given they gave they gave her background of she was born and raised she dropped out of school at 14 to help her mom run the laundry business which also housed a bakery and massage parlor okay so it was a combo move um let's see so that is kind of like the end of the charlie anderson debacle if you will she won she made money off of this asshole okay and... did you check to see how much uh that money amount of money would be in today's yeah it was about forty three thousand dollars. okay so she, what she actually won was what 25 yep you 25, said 25 50. 25 so she won 2500 which in today's money is oh i'm sorry 12 50 which is about $43,000 in today's current. Okay. All yeah. right. Because, like, initially, you were saying that she was suing him for, like, 48000 or something. But I didn't realize that that was, like, today's money. And I was oh, like, yeah. $48,000 in <laughs> yeah, the no, 1900. I'm like, Jesus, she won that? <laughs> yeah. Well, yes, kind of. <laughs> but, yes, but it wasn't actually. It was. No. What, it was around two grand. Right. Um, okay. Yeah, so she, so like I said earlier, this kind of secured her celebrity status in San Francisco as like a ballsy chick. And she never really left San Francisco. She was always in and out of the city. So um, she's also uh, the model for a famous sculpture, Robert Atkins uh, sculpted for the Dewey Monument. And it's still standing in the Union Square today, like in San Francisco Union Square. Some people think it was a different model. Some people think it was Alma. There's really no clear cut who it was. So she was also like identified as, oh, she's kind of a floozy because she's a artist's model and she does nudes and all that fun stuff. So they tried to shit on her and could not the whole time. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. So was she really six foot? Yeah, she was a tall lady. Okay, that is pretty tall. Yeah. Absolutely. I guess I like think back to earlier days and for some reason feel like people were smaller. Little women always con like confirmed that women should be five feet or less in those era. <laughs> <that> era. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> but you even think about like the sizes of clothing and stuff and you see like women, even from like the 50s who like first started wearing two-piece bathing suits and, right. and their waists are like tiny I and so the the way that we know sizes today is not the same as what sizes were back then and so like in my head I doesn't I'm like there's no six-foot woman back then right but, oh, but of course there is of course there is why <laughs> would I what's wrong with me I don't know it's just the depiction of your of the times in your brain right like I said little women that's all that's just all I got Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so the the sculpture almost actually didn't make it to Union Square. Actually, wasn't if it wasn't for Adolf Spreckles and his insisting that that statue, because it was entered into a contest, his insistence that that statue be put into Union Square, and actually never would have been. And he ended up like um courting her for about five years, even though he was twenty four years older than she was. He was absolutely smitten. 
Um, and so after five years of dating, they actually got married on May 11th, 1908. Um, so he was actually the head of Spreckles Sugar Company. And this is, <laughs> and this is where. But the- why? Why again? 24 years older than her. Like. She, oh. was, she was a spitfire, apparently. I But still, I mean, what is it with men? Because it still happens today. I mean, you see it with, like, celebrity men, right? Like, right. the latest is, like, Bradley Cooper and Gigi Haddad, right? Oh, God, yeah. And you're like, how do you even have anything in common? You don't. You don't. You're, 20, you're 25 years apart. I don't know. Maybe back then it was different, but really you don't. It doesn't matter the era. You all go through shit differently and at your different stages in your life when you're at those different ages. So I really can't justify it. However, they were in love. Absolutely smitten and in love. So this is where the term sugar daddy was born. Yes, this is what I sent you was the brief reel on the background of uh, sugar daddy. (laughs) Yeah. So she would tell people that he was her sugar daddy because he was the actual head of a sugar company. (laughs) And he was old enough to be her dad. Oh, Alma, you're such a knee slapper. (laughs) 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 At first, when they were wed, they lived together in his house in Salcedo, uh, where she actually had their first daughter. He soon purchased more property in Pacific Heights. He actually had the home's on that property relocated and he erected a new mansion called the Spreckles Mansion, which com- was completed in 1912. Um, they did have three children total, two daughters and a son. However, I could not find anything about the third daughter, the third child, AKA their daughter. So we're only going to be talking about his two son and daughter. Um, in 1911, their first child, Adolph Bernard Jr. was born and then their daughter dorothy constance was born in 1913 uh it wasn't until after the birth of their daughters that she found out alma found out that his he alpha uh mr alma had actually mr alma you mean alfred (laughs) yes him he actually contracted syphilis before their marriage and it was starting to finally show it is said that um he was hesitant to marry her due to that he didn't actually want to tell her or scare her away but he also didn't want to marry her for fear that you know something bad would come would happen however he was in remission the entire time they were together for their marriage uh so he never actually passed it to her or their children he well that's lucky i mean they dated for five years before they got married so and then they got married and had children so she's very lucky um they at that point i believe they kind of stopped their sexual engagement in their marriage which she was fine with because she definitely had to start focusing on the fact that they had three children and she was trying to kind of like elevate the spreckles name through like highfalutin meetings and all sorts of fun parties and stuff and she was like there's no possible way that i can have a sex life and do this exactly (laughs) girl i get it so (laughs) she would actually host parties um this and this was pre-mansion so she would actually like before they had the mansion as a place for people to gather she would try to host you know parties for influentials to join but many would see her as like an imposter because of her humble beginnings So once the mansion was actually finished, the attendees started to attend her more opulent parties. And this pretty much continued or encouraged her to kind of like continue to try and climb the social ladder a little bit. So as one does in 1914, she flew to Paris. (laughs) By flew, I mean took a boat. Probably took her months. Who knows? The intent there was to purchase furniture from the 18th century to start to, like, continue to decorate this lavish home that was built for her. Uh, Instead, while she was there, she met Loey Fuller, who was actually famous for her serpentine dancing. Um, She was from Illinois, hanging out in Paris, 
kind of doing her thing. She'll be another hoe in the future because she was sassy. Um, and Alma like basically clung to her, and Loic basically felt the same about Alma. They were kind of best of friends right off the rip. And at this point in time, she was over in Paris. The First World War was getting ready to break out. However, while she was there, she spent a lot of time with her learning about the scene, the culture, the different players in the game, primarily in the sculpture arena, as that's kind of where she get her humble beginnings from. Um, but she was introduced at that time to several sculptors, including August Roden and um, some others that were pretty famous and influential. She came back from Paris right at the beginning of WWI and was able to work with Loey and a lot of persistence, work out a deal to purchase about 13 sculptures from Arthur Putnam, who was doing metal bronze sculptures at the time. Uh, and she was like a regular business customer of his after she was able to secure um i'm sorry yeah she was able to secure all of these sculptures drawings etc she would keep going back um and this basically kind of kicked her off as like one of the most influential and important art collectors in the san francisco era at that time like she was incredibly important for a lot of different reasons in that venue or in that so i mean besides having this artwork for her own viewing purposes and for being able to show off that she's i don't know privileged or whatever um i mean was the thought here that it was gonna draw attention or like draw validity or so she was actually very philanthropic and turned the art collection into opportunities for philanthropy she came back she purchased all of these works as well as some drawings and paintings uh and she ended up premiering them in the san francisco uh at the panama pacific international exposition of 1915 so there was an art show that showed up um that had works from all different areas including international so it was like a you know an art fair but at a grand scale um she absolutely fell in love with the french pavilion that was actually a replica of the um i can't remember what the name of it is i don't know if i put it in here so she fell in love with it absolutely had to have it so at that point she decided she must build a museum of equal beauty um to house all of her purchases from everybody that she had in her collection and so it, that's basically when it started however it didn't come to fruition for a while so while she was trying to figure out how to get the building ready or how to get her museum built how to fund it she started to host charity auctions to raise money for war-torn countries like france belgium and romania her house at um 2080 washington had a five limousine garage and that was constantly filled up for garage sales. So she immediately started collecting things to either sell or salvage. Um, she garage had a, sales. Yeah, I mean, so, it, cons- if she's, every time she's buying something, she's selling something. Right, like it's the a five constant limousine. rotation. Well, not she wasn't doing garage sales of her work. Actually, she was doing basically like supplies um, for survival and um soldiers and stuff like that so it wasn't like she was selling her artwork at the time she was selling goods to create financing for things but also she was collecting supplies for everything so it was like her the the five car limousine five limousine garage was like a store basically it had multiple functions and in it there i'm just picturing Um, walls and walls of sugar yeah right (laughs) Uh, she had also been trying to host a highly publicized raffle at the palace hotel she made such a um she made such a name for herself that she actually was able to obtain 
donations from U.S. presidents and others from a lot around the world that were in the arts and sciences. And she even auctioned off one of her favorite pieces from Rodin, The Genius of War. Uh, she was eventually able to convince her husband to fund the Spreckles Museum. And in order to gain more financial support, she went back to Europe. <laughs> Every so, story that we do, the <laughs> woman ends up in Europe at some point in time. I didn't mention it on one of her first trip. Now that she's taking a second one, I feel like just for continuity. Yeah. I need yeah. to say in every episode. <laughs> in every episode. She <laughs> so she goes back to Europe and the work she did for the French, Belgian, and other areas of Europe was actually recognized. She went and kind of said, Hey, I'm trying to create a museum uh to mimic the french pavilion at this event and while she was talking to them about that she also got them to agree to supply some um financing for her museum her good friend loey was good friends with queen queen marie of romania and she donated a replica of her byzantine golden room um also <laughs> fun side quest while she was in Europe, President Warren G. Harding actually compelled her to help in compiling a report on post-war working conditions for women for the Department of Labor's Women's Bureau. And she absolutely carried out that duty, no questions asked. So when she came back, she not only had to report to the President of the United States, but she also had some pretty epic wins from the French government as well as the Queen of Romania. Like philanthropy <laughs> but i mean okay so she's got all these high power connections mm -hmm. and is not necessarily in a sense of reality or for like the everyday person mm -hmm. but the president's asking her to talk about job opportunities for women mm -hmm. after the war miss ma'am is not your everyday no <laughs> But she did come from humble beginnings, Nicole. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't doubt that she could do the job. I'm just like, okay, I, I, I'm curious as to what she listed because her world is very different from most women. Yes, apples and oranges. But she never <laughs> forgot where she came from. She's still okay. Jenny from the block. <laughs> Uh, all right in 1921 she was able to finally break ground for the museum she worked with her architect george applegarth and it was set to be located in lincoln park she got approval from the french government to uh to build the three-quarter scale replica of the french pavilion of palace of the legion in honor of paris from the from them like from the french government because they own the the rights or whatever it took roughly three to five years to get the museum built. And um, at the grand opening ceremony, her husband didn't make it because he actually passed six months earlier from pneumonia. And she was absolutely heartbroken about it. Mm. It didn't matter that during the dedication, the Counselor of State of France announced Spreckles had been awarded the Grand Cross of the Legion d'Honneur which is a pretty high up yeah. honor. Um, so yeah, like I said, she was absolutely devastated that Adolf had passed away. She absolutely adored him and he adored her. He was one of the only people who could really keep up with her high energy, bunch of ideas and still loved her through everything. So um, she was really super bummed. She ended up at that point being the richest widow in the West. So she had around, at her peak, around 14 million bucks, which is a lot. Yeah. Back then. Uh, today, too. <laughs> also today. <laughs> yes, actually, it would still do quite a bit of damage if I had $14 million. All right. At this stage, oh. she was in like the jazz age 
She ended up liquidating some of her business holdings, including the steamship 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 company, as well as two newspapers, the San Diego Union and Tribune. From that, she managed a very comfortable life and had no wants at all. And this kind of continued from that point into the late 1920s and so she was really at that stage was living her best life raising her kids she was um moving between properties from washington to france with her children um she was dealing with remodels and all this all the likes all the rich people shit that rich people do but also um trying to raise her children who were incredibly spoiled she had to deal with mood swings, travels, um, her, they said, highly demanding children, a full social life that included high stakes poker games with celebrity elites. Uh, and she was able still to do her philanthropic work. So at this point, we're approaching the Great Depression. She would then continue to host rummage sales, which expanded into salvage shops. Those are eventually given to the Salvation Army to fully administer and operate. I didn't dive into it, but I think she might be the reason Salvation Army has actual stores for people to go and shop from today. Hmm. Interesting. Yes. So she was absolutely play hard, but also give back hard. (laughs) She... Um, continued to collect more art for the museum as well as contributing to many things along the way um, she like I said was redecorating her various estates she would host celebrities like Bing Crosby, Charlie Champlin John Barrymore and more at her estate in Sonoma uh, she spent huge money on her daughter Dorothy for her coming out party so I guess that her daughter was you know gay and she was like fuck it we're gonna host a rager for you to come out and be gay um that's what they called it back then though or coming out party yeah i don't yeah this is what i'm not real sure with and again i didn't dive super deep into it because i was like "Hmm, i I got enough going on (laughs) but that's what that that was what they what they noted noted as her coming out party so i don't know maybe she was ready to get married i don't know I was going to say, I don't know if that <laughs> simply means, though, that she was gay and that it's the same uh, meaning that we have today. Mm-hmm. I know you're going to do some investigatory, so I'll keep going while you're doing that because I see you t- tapping away over there. <laughs> well, I am. I'm going to try to without slowing down my whole computer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I feel I'm not promising any results because no, I don't... Um, <laughs> I don't want to have a, a Zoom lapse here. Yeah. Uh, so, again, while she was doing all this partying, she was still very much a philanthropist and ended up uh, contributing to the development of Mary Hill Museum of Art in Mary Hill, Washington, which um, was huge for those folks over there. They were, if it wasn't for her, they wouldn't have established it. Um. Okay, so around around the time she was 56 she met her second husband elmer all and everybody dubbed him uncle elmer um he was 47 so she married younger this time around he was a flamboyant life of the party rancher and businessman man from santa barbara who co-funded the rancheros vistadoras in 1929 and this establishment or organization was known for their annual chuck wagon camping trips which was actually like a real kitschy celebrity to do like it was mostly a like adventure type thing so they would do like you know chuck wagons celebrities would come get on the wagons and they'd really feel knew what it was like to be a country count or you know a cowboy in the old west there Mm. Well, just so you know, 
a coming out party from the 1930s is more like a debutante ball. Okay. And it's like connecting your she was ready to get married. Yep. Single daughter with a the most eligible bachelors and there's even a movie from 1934 called Coming Out Party. <laughs> See? So I was, like, I was like I, I don't, know. don't think that <laughs> that that means the same thing. I'm glad and that you did that. She would have been way, way, way progressive. Right. Well, I mean, she was a, a century, lady, so I wasn't sure. And I, I clearly <laughs> made the guess and I was wrong. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. It's more just like putting your daughter on display. No. I anyway. mean, it's rich people arranged marriage. Right. Debutante balls. Got it. Yeah. We'll still happen. It's fine. It was just funny. I was like, I don't think I can let this one go. <laughs> I'm fine with that. I figured that would be the case. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. She met him while she was in Santa Barbara looking at a hotel that was Persian themed, but it like fell to the wayside and it was such a money pit and needed a bunch of shit. And she was like, okay, I'm going to take this and rehabilitate it and turn it into something that I can start putting my art collection in. So like another essentially museum of sorts. Uh, and that was in 1937 is when they started doing that. Yeah. So they hit it off immediately and married in 1939. Um, he, so he went from Santa Barbara to San Francisco for a while. Uh, some say she grew bored of him. Others say it's because of the property they purchased. It wasn't doing so well. She actually ended up sending him back to Santa Barbara and, um, because the business wasn't doing so well and they, and they ended up not being able to really contain the hotel anymore. They couldn't even find a buyer for it. So they ended up trading it for a dairy farm in Marion County instead of selling it. Like, could you imagine? Here, take this dilapidated Persian-themed hotel we couldn't renovate, and I'll take your dairy farm. Thank you. Just a flat trade. It's so bizarre. Also, the, also the dairy farm was worth 80K. So, But the then what does the dairy farm do with the hotel if she can't even do anything with it? Well, I don't know. They didn't mention much, well, anything about it afterwards. They just got the farm, and that was that. Because um, I'm like, uh, so what does a dairy farmer do with it now? <laughs> who knows? Who knows? sit and cry in it (laughs) okay um okay so her new man was actually in the coast guard reserve and world war ii was right there he was called to active duty again she jumped in uh, with her charity pants on formed a new charity called the san francisco league for servicemen and gathered army and navy supplies for everybody Again, she returned her garage into a recycling center this time. She also donated her Sorba Vista to the Army as a recreational center. So she, like, donated one of her full establishments to them. Uh, As the war was nearing the end, however, she found that her husband was cheating on her with her niece and private assistant, Ula. You whore. Oh, my goodness. I know. So... She divorced him promptly in 1943. However, when he did come home, he and Ola got married and settled in Santa Barbara. So I believe they were married for the whole time. Good for them. Hmm. But I mean, quite the betrayal. Your Absolutely. Niece. And yes. So you have to, I have to imagine in Sarah's world, it was a correspondence thing that quickly turned into a love affair. Um, okay, moving to the 1950s. So she's still doing philanthropic work. She's still managing life, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> um, she actually, so the San Francisco Maritime Museum started solely with her collection as the core of how it started. And as it got up and running, Carl Cortum, who was one of the co-founders, he actually got into like a tiff with her over the lack of recognition for her efforts efforts and contributions to get the museum up and running um her like i said the first collection ever showcased was from her personal collection and she was hugely involved but ever never really got the recognition she wanted so she was pissy with him about that i don't know whatever came of that the museum continued 
Um, so she, like I said, had three children and one of her daughters, we don't know what happened to her. Her other daughter had a coming out party and her son, Adolf Jr., he ended up, unfortunately, passing of a heart attack in 1961. So mm. as it was written, he was the quintessential spoiled rich kid. He drank in excess. Mm. He pursued women endlessly and more than likely did drugs a lot. Yeah. He ended up marrying and divorcing six different women in his lifetime. And he had a very violent temper. She was really bummed. He became kind of a great disappointment for her as she really wanted him to be like an upstanding citizen and kind of fill in her shoes, if you will, like walk in her path. Yeah, I mean, at bare minimum, I think most mothers want their children to be productive members of society. <laughs> yeah, bare minimum for <laughs> sure. She didn't even get that. No, I know. That's why I'm like, mm, well, you know, you'd think that he would... uh he would be hopeful in her eyes of being able to continue on with her businesses or philanthropic things and turning them into businesses mm -hmm. or whatever, because she clearly married off her daughters. Right. So, yeah, yeah. he yeah. was um, disappointing on many fronts, many, many fronts. And uh, <laughs> she was like devastated. She almost she probably felt guilty because she was she off gallivanting in Paris while he was a child. No, she didn't feel guilty about that. She felt guilty that she didn't provide him with, like, more structure and not being firm enough with him as a child. Like, she was mm -hmm. definitely in his life a yeah. lot a lot more than most of the women that we've talked about. But it just wasn't identified here as, like, she was with them all day, every day. So, uh, at the end of her lifetime, she basically spent her in near seclusion she would start her days with a nude swim in her swimming pool in her backyard. She would read mystery novels and then t eventually took up visiting her daughters and her six grandchildren as often as she possibly could. So remember um, when I said she started off with $14 million? By the time she passed away in 1968 at the age of 87, she had all but $1 million in her property at 2040 Washington left in her name. That's the way to this, do it, though. Right. Well, she then dispersed this with everybody left, daughters and yeah. grandchildren-wise, so everybody got joint ownership of everything. No, I think she did it perfectly. I if I had $14 million... I would also pace it out so that when I died, there wouldn't be a shit ton of money left over <laughs> and whatever was left would go to my loved ones. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I mean a, a million dollars when, when everything was all said and done to be left over, plus whatever her properties and artwork and all that other stuff and to be split amongst the two daughters' families. Like to me, I'm like, that sounds like it all washed out nicely. <laughs> yeah. And don't forget, her property at 2080 Washington had a five limo garage. I know. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> I'm sure that they were able to, like, sell some of the properties or whatever yeah. they needed to do. Um, no, but she didn't. Like, that was all she had at the end of it. I don't know what happened to any of it. No, she, I'm saying, like, her daughters or whatever, if they wanted to, they could have, like, sold the one property she the property on. yeah yeah but yeah i don't know if she gave her shit away if she liquidated it for more money there's not a lot of information on that hmm. but that is that's it that i wonder the... if she um was proud's maybe not the right word I don't know. I'm trying to find the right word for like how you would feel about sugar daddy becoming a term. <laughs> oh, mm -hmm. and it's sticking. And I and... feel like Alma was probably okay with that. She was a little bit of a jokester, if you will. Yeah. Even... I'm like, she had a good sense of humor. So she probably <laughs> thought it was hilarious that it stuck. Had to have. Right. Had to have. I mean, I just, I hope so. I do. I really do. <laughs> Yeah, 
So that is Big Alma. The greatest philanthropic art collector from San Francisco there ever was. I'm making <laughs> that up. <laughs> yeah. I was like, well, I don't know if we can give her that title, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's us. It's fine. Nobody takes it for like, written in stone anyway. It's cool. I mean, you got to give her some substance in addition to the coiner of sugar daddy terms. <laughs> and the first woman to like really marked pretty well made headlines for suing the man. Right for, for deflowering. Yeah. <laughs> Personal deflowration. Yeah. She was like, this motherfucker lied. Mm-mm-mm. He ain't it. It ain't it. I just love the contrast in, you know, recollections. Right. <laughs> I bought them everything. I had to cut them off. I had to do this. He said he wanted to be my husband. I wanted to be his wife. And then he stole my virginity. So fuck him. <laughs> Yes. Oh, wow. What a time. So, yeah. What a story. Right. Indeed. Indeed. Good job. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. There wasn't like, there were different spins, but ultimately everything was kind of the same story. There are obviously things in pop culture around her and her story. The, uh, there was a book called The Sorcery Club. And it was a tale of the occult, largely sent in San Francisco. And Alma does make an appearance in chapters, what is it, seven, six, is Ella Crockford, the wife of the California Street Sugar King. <laughs> and is variously, or is blackmailed for various entertaining, but dis- uh, some disreputable, what? Disreputable. I'm like, what are you trying to say? <laughs> disreputable. Okay. <laughs> so they like painted they kind of like painted her as a sassy, saucy so and so in that book. So I have to imagine like she was just sass posture through and through. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Well, thanks for looking into her and making us aware. Yeah. No problem. Thanks for listening and participating <laughs> in the coming out thus <laughs> definition. <laughs> uh yeah i'm like mm, i feel like in the 30s that they didn't even really say the word gay unless you meant happy it wasn't like a term about people and so i'm like (laughs) i don't think that they're sitting here having parties for homosexuals probably not (laughs) (laughs) so sorry i had to bust your myth no i'm fine with that I'm okay with that. Uh, well, I guess it's at a girl time. It is. It is at a girl time. At a girls are where we pat ourselves on the back for something good that we did or something good that's happened to us. And my at a girl this week is that I finally found a cleaning product that would get rid of the like hard water stains in my tub. Oh, and. I proceeded then to get so much enjoyment out of like watching the stains go away. <laughs> I scrubbed it for probably like a half an hour. <laughs> oh, wow. So how did it work? How did it pan out? Um, So I don't know if the bathtub in my bathroom is the original bathtub, but it's definitely not new by any means. And... It probably needs to be like reglazed or something at some point, but it's very porous. And so it holds on to like the the water stains and stuff. Like I've used Tylex, CLR, Comet, like things with bleach, things without bleach, magic erasers, whatever, right? So I found this cleaning stuff called the pink stuff. And it's um the pink stuff comes in a like squirt bottle or I don't know various other ways that you can apply it but I got like this little tub and so I just like took a sponge and grabbed it out of the tub like it was putty basically and I didn't even have to press hard and I was just like watching it like disappear it was that's nice. that's it was like 
seeing an infomercial on TV that you don't believe, you know? It was very satisfying. And then I like, after I'm done scrubbing it, because who knows how long like some of these like stains and stuff. Like some of them might have been there before I even bought the house, right? Like, I mean, I've tried everything with this tub. So I like back away and I'm just staring at it. And I'm like, oh my God. Uh, you're so okay. pretty. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, the pink stuff in the tub is actually like vegetable oil based. Oh. or something and it's got like a little bit of grit to it so you're not supposed to like use it on glass or I guess mm-hmm. be careful using it on glass um but it was still seemed very I don't know safe to use on most surfaces like I I was ready to use a pumice stone on this I thing have one of those you know yeah but yeah I didn't have to go that far all right, cool. Good to know. I'm going to buy some now. Thank you for that. Not sponsored. Um, I know. Well, that's the thing. I'm basically doing an infomercial for them. I did not take any befores and afters because I wasn't expecting that type of dramatic change. Um, But yeah, you can get it anywhere. I got it on Amazon, but it's like at Target, Home Depot. It was $5. I'm going to buy some for my toilets. <laughs> Seriously. I have pumice stone my toilets. It sucks. Really? <laughs> if yeah. I don't, if I don't swirl them once a week, then absolutely. Huh. Interesting. That's fun. Well, check Atta out the girl. various the pink stuff. Add a girl. Cleaning <laughs> solutions because holy shit. Wow. <laughs> On it. Buying some this evening. Oh, I know. I'm like, oh no, I should I should see if they're public and invest in stock before I start telling everybody. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna be those big name make them go out of business. <laughs> Too much demand, not enough product. Right. Well, the funny thing is though, you don't have to use that much. <laughs> Continue to pour it on. Just it's, well, I I'm like Okay, even if everybody went out and bought it all, like it's going to last you because (laughs) I didn't have to use that much. One tub for two households, please. (laughs) It's hilarious. I'm very excited about this finding that you have. (laughs) Man, well, I wish my girl's kind of long time coming, maybe. I, uh, yeah. I ended up hanging up more pictures on Sunday. I was cleaning and all the pictures that were hanging up or like leaning over in the bathroom area. I was like, I'm fucking just going to hang these up now because I was waiting for him so that we could make a joint decision. And I was like, no, I'm not waiting anymore. It's been a year. I'm just going to put these up now. (laughs) Yeah, it's been longer than a year. So they basically were blending into the wall at that point, I'm sure. No. I or the floor, or whatever. Like no, I looked at it every day, like, Ugh. oh, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. But I didn't want to be disrespectful and put something on, be like, well, what I didn't have and be upset. So I was like holding off. And finally, I was like, I'm breaking that barrier. We're going to shut that down, that line of thought. And we're just going to do things and ask for forgiveness now. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so, like, I went upstairs to clean the bathroom. And finally, I was like, click. And I went downstairs and I grabbed the, the hanging stuff and I went upstairs and I started hanging everything and he came upstairs to ask me about something he's like oh nice cute <laughs> and he asked me everything I was like yeah that's it okay I waited a whole year plus for that. Yes. I was gonna say he probably does not care no. like he's like oh that looks nice now but yeah no he cares he does want to have yeah. an opinion just not everywhere and I'm finding that so yeah I'm learning the the ropes here <laughs> <laughs> I'm proud of myself for just doing something, but also for doing something that makes me feel like it's still more of a home. Yeah. Continuing to do so. Nice. Yeah. Proud of myself. Well, add a girl. Thanks. So if you guys liked what you heard today, please rate, review, subscribe. 
It very much helps us in the algorithms and you can follow us on Instagram at homance underscore chronicles. Um, you can get homance merch at nicolebonneville.etsy.com. We also have a random closed group on Facebook, uh, the homance chronicles, the judgment free zone, and please, uh, feel free to recommend a hoe of history by sending us like a DM or emailing us at homancepodcast at gmail.com. All right. Oh.